0: Listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and in this episode, we talk to Dr. Anna Vaprinska, assistant professor in the Department of Literature, Folklore, and the Arts in the School of Arts and Social Sciences. Anna is both an academic and creative writer, considering the ways in which we come to understand each other and the human experience, but I'll let her explain all of that. She's a poet. She's published the book, Empathy, in Contemporary Poetry After Crisis. She's taken her interests in this very human reaction or practice and incorporated it into her scholarship of teaching and learning. I always enjoy speaking with Anna. She has a very thoughtful and deliberate conversational style. In this episode, we talk about her research interests and how it's shaping her teaching. I hope you enjoy the episode.
1: My name is Anna Viprinska, and I am an assistant professor in the Department of uh, Literature, Folklore, and the Arts, and I teach English courses specifically.
0: How long have you been here at CBU?
1: Only since September. (laughs) Since Um, September. Yeah, so for just under a year now.
0: Um, so today we're going to talk about empathy and, um, you know, you and I have spoken about empathy before, and you had actually done a bit of a series, um, in partnership with the CTL um and so that's why i thought it would be a great conversation for us to have but i think maybe uh as a starting point for this conversation what is empathy you know empathy i think could be one of those things that uh, is understood differently by a lot of people
1: Yeah, so it's uh, it seems like an easy question, but it's really not. As I found in my research, it's actually a very slippery term. Um, It was translated into uh, English in 1909 from the German "Einfühlung," which literally translates to "feeling into." Um, And so we can think of it as this kind of affective and imaginative projection into another. Um, You often hear um, people speak about empathy as kind of stepping into the shoes of someone else. Uh, So that metaphor is often apt for understanding empathy as well. One of the ways I define empathy is also through openness. So this idea of being open to another, but also openness in terms of Empathy's linguistic counterparts, so words like identification, sympathy, pity, compassion, words that kind of uh, added to the history of empathy and to the development of that term today. Um, one of the things, and this is probably the thing I find most salient about empathy, is that it's a, it's a process that can both acknowledge someone, but it can also infringe On someone else. Um, So it can offer care, and we often think of empathy in terms of care, but it can also appropriate um, someone else's position. And so it's a really interesting concept um, because um, it allows, it's almost open to these possibilities, and so it depends on who is wielding empathy. Um, and it, so it's, I think it's a responsibility. How, how, we, how we empathize with another is a kind of responsibility we have, a social responsibility we have toward each other.
0: You know, as, as you had mentioned, that second definition, that maybe appropriative uh, definition, that's one that I think most aren't going to associate with the, the, the term empathy. Um, so I was wondering maybe if you could just explain that a little bit more or even come up with a type of example of how empathy could be treated in that fashion?
1: Mm -hmm. So uh, this is, uh, this comes from many theorists. um, And the interesting thing about empathy is that it's really interdisciplinary. So um, it started off in the field of aesthetics, um, philosophy and psychology, like have a big foot in empathy, English, history, cultural studies, um, trauma studies. So, So empathy kind of like spans a lot of disciplines, and so uh, Jonathan Boyer is a theorist who called empathy symbolic violence. Um, and then Sadia Hartman also talks about this. She calls it the violence of identification. And um, so this idea that uh, we want to um, enter into another's experiences, but sometimes by doing that, we kind of obliterate that other's experience because we make it about ourselves. Um, and Sadia Hartman, maybe I'll, I'll give this example that she gives, she talks about John Rankin's epistles, um, on uh, abolitionist epistles, and she says he says that imagine it were me and my family who were enslaved, and she says by doing this, um, by by empathizing, he's offering a kind of empathy. He's uh, he's uh, his him and his family are stepping into the shoes of somebody who's enslaved, but he is making it all about himself. So he's saying this is only slavery is only important if it's happening to a white person um and so in in a way even though he is uh, trying it's, it's an abolitionist epistle in a way he is also obliterating the experiences of those who are enslaved um and so so empathy can be wielded in that way where you kind of make it about yourself and less about the other person um yeah or say for example you you see somebody crying um, and you kind of break down yourself because you empathize so deeply with what they're feeling, right? That doesn't help that person necessarily. And in fact, um, it places a burden on them that they have now affected you in this way and maybe now they have to comfort you. Um, and so so these are ways in which I think in a practical kind of way, empathy can work in, uh, I guess, unethical or neg- more negative uh, ways.
0: You know, em- empathy I think is Pretty interesting, and you brought up two examples that explain this uh, line of questioning. But it is both a reaction uh, and also a practice. It's something that you can try to to do and um, be more empathetic to somebody else's perspective. But then also, um, you know, somebody can be more um, uh, naturally empathetic and feeling with somebody and i'm wondering if the literature bears out any of, of that sort of thing or, or if there's discussion about this empathy as practice empathy as doing and empathy as just you know being and in, in reaction
1: yeah so neuroscience actually has a lot of this um focus in terms of empathy so mirror neur- neurons it's kind of the reactionary empathy so um if you see somebody about to get and um, adam smith talks about this he says if you see somebody about to get hit Right? you might shrink yourself and that's just kind of like an automatic reaction um it's it's just kind of like your body almost reacts without you uh, consciously thinking about it right as opposed to you're right this practice of empathy of working to empathize um and this was a question so uh last semester maybe i'll talk about this a bit more later but um last semester i really had this gift of a class um it was an interdisciplinary seminar here at cbu um and i just got to design it Uh, it was just called empathy and so i got to sit like in a room full of students and just talk about empathy um and it was a beautiful class because we we ended up not only studying empathy theoretically but uh practicing empathy it's almost like a practice in the classroom um and there was, there was a conscious effort on the part, I think, uh, of me as the instructor, but also the students um, in kind of deciding how we approach one another. Um, and so, so I think, and we talked about this early on about sometimes empathy, just some people feel like empathetic naturally just comes so quickly and some people they have to work a bit harder. Um, and, yeah, so we, so we discussed as a class, like, the kind of ways that empathy might look um, and the kind of ways we want to approach one another early on. Um, and I think that really set the stage for what the class was, um, which, again, yeah, it was a gift of a class.
0: In the Center for Teaching and Learning, oftentimes when we are um, designing our programming, and if it's about a particular skill or concept or or whatever that we think is important for um, faculty or that we've heard is an important thing for faculty um, uh, to seek development on, we will both you know, find a, a way to get the co- concept across and then also to model the concept. Sometimes it's explicitly, but then also it, it can be implicitly. How do we organize the session or is it a session at all? Is it a resource instead or, or, or whatever, whatever. So. Um, I like that idea that in a, in a class on empathy, not only are you teaching theory of empathy, but, uh, or maybe literature or what have you, um, by practicing empathy, by turning empathy into a pedagogical, um, practice, you're also showing them, you know, how they could be maybe more empathetic or at least approach the literature from that vantage point
1: oh yeah exactly um and i wanted to maybe share this example so modeling is really is a big uh part of uh i think teaching with empathy um and so i think uh, one of the ways in that class was definitely modeling empathy because our discussions often veered into personal examples um, of both receiving and giving empathy of the ways in which sometimes you give empathy and that can take be taken advantage of and so and, and so it was really interesting because a lot of people opened up in that class about a person, like their personal experiences and their personal feelings. And I think teaching with empathy is also being open to feelings. So not thinking that we enter a classroom and we check our feelings and our bodies at the door and we just come in with our minds. Um, and I think often we get taught that way, right? It's a really like intellectual intellectualization of education. But I think there there's education also, and this is where embodied learning comes into play, trauma-informed pedagogy, pedagogy of kindness, um, which are really like the three kind of foundational pedagogies um, that I hold. So I think uh, thinking about those those kind of feelings as important in the class, so we had, often our discussions veered into these kind of feelings, and it was, it was really just, um, it was a gift for me to watch the students react to each other with empathy, Um, And that could look like receptivity, that could look like the way they were listening, that could look like thinking, like acknowledging that other students experience. Um, It was a really special class. And after the class, after the class in the student evaluation, some people talked about how, about the real world implications of that course, about how they can't, every interaction they now have, they think about empathy. Um, and I think that's pretty powerful when a class can do that, which is why I call it a gift of a class. Um, one, so during during the, maybe I'll give this one example, during the course, at one point, one of the students came to my office. Um, and she told me how, that day she she had seen one of her friends and they looked tired. And she said, I was about to tell him you look tired. But she said, I realized, like, I felt empathy in that moment. She said, I don't like being told I look tired. Um, so instead, she said, how are you today? Like, Can I help you take notes in class? Um, and so after she left, I thought like, if we can do that in a classroom, like if we can, if we can think of a classroom not just as this kind of siloed space um, where where somebody is learning just concepts, but we can think of it as having this practical application, um, a, as having practical applications uh, based on how we model things, based on uh, the kind of explicit and implicit um, expectations we set out in the class. I think that's pretty powerful, um, and I think, yeah, I think education can be really powerful in that way.
0: You've touched on it a little bit, but, you know, why, why do you think ultimately it's important um, for people to learn about empathy, um, you know, for their personal lives and um, their personal outcomes as students maybe then moving into the workforce or on to further um, graduate studies? Because, you know, you're teaching at the undergraduate level. Um, As artists or as researchers, as educators themselves, like why would why is it important for us to be engaging in work about empathy in the classroom or in professional development?
1: So so I think uh, one of the reasons it's important is because I think of it as almost this cornerstone of like humanistic discourse. Um, So when we're thinking about things like social justice, um, we're thinking about how we relate to one another. I think empathy can be really instrumental and learning that empathy isn't only isn't only possibly an ethical um, concept, it can also be unethical, is really important. So learning that it's, um, it's a dynamic concept, um, it's not one-sided, um, and we need to kind of think about how we use it, I think is part of why it's so important. Um, as educators, I think uh, how we approach students is, is crucial, um, especially when we're thinking about um, pedagogy. Um, so I, I briefly mentioned ped- Pedagogy of Kindness, which I think is really just an empathetic pedagogy. And um, so, so what the Pedagogy of Kindness basically does is it listens to the individual needs of students. Um, so it thinks about each student's individual needs, uh, not just a the classroom. Um, It also trusts students as collaborators in their own education, and it listens to individual student experience. So thinking about um, how do we approach our students in a way that's kind, in a way that's empathetic, um, and I think that takes nothing away from the learning in a classroom. In fact, it um, makes that learning stronger because if there's a relationship, with your educator um, and with the others in the classroom that's based in kindness and empathy, I think you are more likely to be committed to that class. You're more likely to learn in a way that's enjoyable, in a way that you feel respected. Um, we talk about, um, obviously, there's been a lot of talk in education right now about Chat GPT and other AI resources. Um, if you're building those personal relationships with students, um, if you're if you're approaching those uh, relationships with empathy, I really believe that those uh, those cases of plagiarism uh, are minima- minimalized.
0: You know, you're talking about the importance of engaging in empathy as an educator. I'm wondering what strategies. So you you, you had a gift of a class that was about empathy specifically. You've taught other courses, I'm, I'm sure they're, um, Introduction to literature or maybe reading and writing courses um, Expanding even further to people across the uh, arts and sciences or at arts um, uh, School but then getting into sciences getting into um, Professional uh, uh, Professional designation schools or business How could pe- people actually implement um, A strategy that incorporates empathy into the classroom
1: so I think, uh, first of all, like I think UDL flexibility, equity in learning are really important, and that that's across like all classrooms. So UDL being UDL. Universal, yeah, universal design for learning. Yes. Um, so thinking about, um, and I I taught for a time. I was a teaching assistant for students with learning disabilities at York uh, University. And it really, like that experience, made me think about how important it is to build UDL, to build uh, flexibility, to build multimodal classrooms um, like into, this, into the structure of what we teach. And so I think uh, whether that's flexibility in terms of uh, assignment deadlines, whether that's flexibility in terms of uh, course content. Um, so one of the things sometimes I do in a class is I leave a week's reading blank. Um, And I think about how how do I trust students to uh, bring in what they are interested in um, and give them that space to to make a classroom a participatory space where it's not there's always that power dynamic in a classroom uh, where the teacher is at the front and the students are sitting like watching and the teacher has the power because they are grading them. But if we can kind of step out of those power roles, even momentarily, uh, by giving students more agency um, in what they're learning, by allowing them choice, uh, by giving flexibility, I think uh, that kind of respect and that kind of empathy carries across all sorts of classrooms. Um, I also wanted to give an example at, um, I was teaching at Seneca College for a year in Toronto, and I had a class, an entire class of, uh, an English class, uh, introductory, it was called Writing Strategies. And the whole class was a class of nurses. Um, so, so English wasn't necessarily, you know, what they had come in to study. And uh, for a lot of them, it wasn't a point of interest, but it was also uh, thinking about how to, uh, if we're thinking about empathy, how do we meet students where they are and who they are? Um, so, so I had a lot of uh, in that class. I taught a lot of medical literature. Um, so thinking about well, what will interest them, right? Um, and how do we how do I approach them uh, through this? So not just having like blanket courses that you just kind of like uh, a place where 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 you get that course just like across uh, across all the courses, but thinking about how do you make individualized learning. Um, so for that particular class, it was thinking about what are they interested in, right? And how, how can I reframe this class to, to allow for that? Um, and I think part of that is also, part of empathy is also learning about your students. So when we do, for example, icebreakers, thinking like icebreakers at the beginning of a class, not as just like a placeholder because we haven't done the readings yet. So, you know, let's get to know each other, but as like kind of an inherent and important way to get to know our students, not just for the first day of class, but for the remainder of the course, right? Um, And building in ways to also like know your students um, in in different ways that will allow you to um, individualize that learning um, is a part of, I think an empathetic approach to teaching. I also think embodied, I hope I'm not going on too long. No. Um, I also think embodied learning is really important. So thinking about the body when we're teaching. Um, So thinking about if somebody is watching your students, are they yawning? Are they like, uh, are they sitting upright in their seat? Or are they slouching? Are they um, talking to each other? Are they listening? Um, And so, thinking about the body of the student and breaks become really important in a classroom, I think, like especially a longer class. Um, and a break isn't just because, you know, somebody is tired or um, like it's for, for those reasons as well, but it can also like consolidate knowledge. It can offer an opportunity to ask questions and clarify if they, if they weren't sure about something. It can leave room for laughter, right? For talking to others in the class. Uh, we often forget how important laughter is in a classroom, I think, um, because it allows that opening, right? When you laugh, like you literally open your mouth, um, and, and you're open, like you, you become more open to each other. And so I think, um, breaks can be a way of thinking about embodied learning and just paying attention and thinking about how participation doesn't always look the same way. So, uh, if somebody, uh, we're often told, um, especially when we're talking about mental health, right, sometimes sometimes all you can do is just get out of bed that day and that's enough. Um, sometimes all a student can do is just show up in your class and that's what they can do that day, right? maybe that's not a day where they can talk, but they're there physically. Um, and I think thinking about participation in these different ways, and that's just one example, um, by paying attention to uh the body the feelings um all those things that aren't just like the mind
0: you know uh, you have course content that you need to cover um you are paying attention to students and trying to be empathetic as an instructor uh to all of them and it could be a class size of 10 20 30 60. as well you're taking time with them individually and also being more flexible with i'm assuming your instructional design and how you're doing things like assessment or you're you're saying um giving different uh or flexible deadlines and these sorts of things what's the possibility for burnout with you as an instructor because i you know it is it is a lot of work uh it's a lot of work just to even get up and lecture in front of a classroom and grade papers at the end of the day if you have a full course load and you're doing research as well. So I'm wondering if you can talk about that sustainability um, uh, as, a, as a faculty member and how you maintain your own health and, and feel that you're able to kind of keep this kind of work going into the future.
1: I think uh, it's a really good question because we don't talk enough about how care is a labor and care can be exhausting. Um, and I think uh, I definitely don't have uh, the correct answer for this because this is something like I have felt and faced, but I think um, you always have to, the same way that you, you're trying to give empathy to your students, and I'm talking about kind of like this ethical empathy um, that's cognizant of uh, these possibilities for the unethical. Um, So when you're trying to give that kind of empathy to your students, you also have to remember to give it to yourself. Um, And this came up in that empathy course, can you empathize with yourself? Um, We don't often talk about that. Uh, Self-compassion in in the field of psychology obviously has been something that's um, grown um, in recent years. I'm thinking about how do we approach ourselves with the same kind of compassion or empathy we give to others. Um, So I think that's important. So, so, you're right that uh, it's, there is that possibility for burnout. Um, and I think I, I have not necessarily found the, the exact ways in which to navigate that. But taking breaks for yourself, um, giving, giving the same things that you give to your students, right? Whether that's breaks, whether that's care, whether that's flexibility in deadlines, right? You can do that for yourself as well. Um, it just is harder. Um, at least that that's how I found it. but uh, it's it's definitely possible. Um, I'll share an example, and sometimes, like uh, one of the things uh, maybe that we haven't mentioned is sometimes classrooms can be emotionally weighty, um especially this empathy course, I remember. I think it was on the second day of class we basically every, every kind of like dark issue that you can think of came up in that class like suicide death um, divorce like you name it it was it was a lot of darkness and i came home and i was so exhausted just like emotionally exhausted from that class and i thought about if i'm emotionally exhausted i wonder how the students feel so the next class I just started with this kind of emotional check-in so I just had these different like faces on the board like happy face medium smile like sad face like a kind of like a range of different emotions and I said just like come up and check where you are today and I and after that we kind of did that a few times throughout the course because it was checking in with them about like how do you feel today are you prepared for a weighty kind of conversation today you know and I asked them how did you feel about last week shockingly they were all fine I, I was the one I think that felt in more um but we have to be aware of our own capacities so like checking in with ourselves as well today I'm all like all I can do is just I can give this lecture and I can't pay attention as much to like what like to how somebody is slouching in their seat or sitting like I can't do that today I think that's okay because I think also remembering that, like we as faculty are also human beings, I think that's part of modeling for students as well, right? Like we are also fallible, we are also we can also be tired, right? And we can also be burnt out.
0: How have you come to this work, or, or why have you come to this work? Um, empathy is a really interesting topic, and as you said, it's uh, multidisciplinary, it's intersectional. But what's your story and connection to empathy as a, as a subject.
1: So it's really interesting because it's kind of something I, uh, I think about a lot. I think I came to it even before I started researching it, uh, because it was just the way that I thought about human relations. Honestly, I thought everybody is just so empathetic and walking around just like they're like hearts out and open and it took me a long time to learn that that's like not the way that.
0: That's, that's so that's so nice. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so it took me a long time to learn that not everyone is like that. Um, but I, so I think it just came to me because it's just like that's just how I approached people. And then. Uh, I came to it as a research topic, like in early on in my PhD, uh, I was taking a city text course um, with Professor Leslie Higgins at York University. and she had us do this assignment where we uh, I, uh, I think it was uh, I don't remember the exact prompt, but something about how you you think about like uh, one of the literary one or two of the literary texts we studied alongside alongside some other discipline, right? And then, I found my way to empathy um, through a medical perspective at that point, so thinking about doctor-patient relationships and empathy, because um, I was looking at um, uh, Virginia Woolf's Smith's Dalloway and, and Duna Barnes's Nightwood, um, and thinking about the doctor-patient relationships in those uh, novels. And so I came to empathy through that. Um, and then I just like couldn't leave it. Um, and so every time I have since, uh, it's been, uh, yeah it's it's been hard so so i kind of so my so my phd ended up being on uh, a poetry uh, empathy and poetry after crisis um i looked at the holocaust 9-11 and hurricane katrina and then my postdoc um in my postdoc i looked at and this is research i'm still doing uh looking at poetry in uh looking at empathy and poetry of um holocaust survivors that they uh particularly the poetry that they read during um, testimonies. Um, and so, so it kind of became, so research-wise, um, it's, it's become central to my research. Uh, pedagogically, we've already talked about like how um, it's, it's sort of the way I approach both students and people in general. Um, and then uh, artistically, there are so many facets of empathy uh, that have found their way into my own poetry. So thinking about ideas of witnessing, right? We can't, we can't empathize with someone if we're not witnessing them, um, if we're not acknowledging them. Um, and so I often write things uh, about witnessing, uh, whether it's like different crises or it's personal experience. Um, also thinking about like ethics has become really like a part of uh, my own personal writing thinking about positionality this is something i think about with um cl- in classrooms as well so um sylvia duckworth has this really um powerful it's called the wheel of power privilege um you can find that online and it's uh it allows students to kind of map their own positionality their own intersectionality and of course it's based on kimberly cranshaw's concept of intersectionality I um, mean, I think when we know our own subject position, when we know like who we are, like where we hold power, where we hold privilege, where we don't, it's much easier to know when you step into someone else's position. So knowing your own position can help you know when you overstep into someone else's position. Um, and I think this is this is where like the interest in empathy kind of crosses across uh, pedagogy, research, uh, artistic practice is this idea that when we step into someone, right, when we empathize with them, we can also overstep into someone, we can overstep. Um, And so, so really empathy has kind of become this like artery that connects all like my, my research, my, my poetry and my teaching. Um, And I think, yeah, that, that just developed over time. And think that's my answer
0: looking into the future um where do you see this work going um research teaching how would you like to see this work in empathy um move forward and and maybe even move past and outside of you uh into your your colleagues your school your department maybe
1: so i think um because empathy is so, like, truly interdisciplinary, um, it really just, like, so many fields have their foot in empathy. I think thinking about how do we talk across disciplines um, in empathetic ways is also really, is really interesting to me. I think about empathy and social justice. Um, I think, uh, and I mentioned, I think of it as this kind of cornerstone of humanistic discourse, Um so thinking about those ways i also i hope that studying empathy uh, whether exp- or or seeing empathy being modeled so it's explicit or implicit i hope it offers us like more nuanced perspectives of empathy of each other <laughs> and uh just thinking about how empathy can make us more self-aware and open educators um and it can make us um it can make us think of our students um and uh, root for our students success not only as students but also as human beings um so I think uh I hope that empathy goes in those in those directions
0: Is there anything you would like to leave us with um, knowing that, you know, it's going to be other faculty members listening to this podcast episode?
1: I think it's important. And this is something I haven't mentioned yet is to think about how uh, we can, how we can work toward altruism um, in addition to empathy, because empathy doesn't imply any action. Um, And I'll, give this brief anecdote, um, which just has stayed with me ever since I read it. Um, So Paul Bloom has this uh, book called Against Empathy, came out some years ago, and it's called Against Empathy, The Case for Rational Compassion, and he gives this example of a story. Um, And the story is that uh, during the Holocaust, there was a woman who lived um, not too far from one of the concentration camps. And from her window, she could see brutalities taking place. So she could see prisoners being beaten and shot. And she was really just horrified by this experience. And so she wrote a letter um, to the camp. And in the letter, she said, I am... uh, I am sick watching this, like I am, like, physically sick watching this, um, and I request that this practice be discontinued or else be done where one does not see it. And so, this idea that em- she can feel empathy, she can be physically sick um, watching these brutalities, but There can be no action associated with it because she can be okay if uh these horrific things are just done behind closed doors where she doesn't have to witness it um and so thinking about the ways in which we can move past just these kind of like theoretical concepts or just feeling for someone and thinking about how do we employ the action um alongside it is very important, I think, when we're looking at empathy and when we're approaching each other.
0: This has been a very enlightening talk, and I really appreciate you coming in um, for this conversation, and uh, I hope we get to have another conversation like this soon, and maybe we can elaborate on some of these things further.
1: Me too. It's been my pleasure, AJ. Thank you so much for inviting Mm me.
0: listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning, Cape Breton University. I want to thank Anna for coming in and having a conversation about empathy. You can hear it in her voice. Um, she's a, just a great speaker, very interesting person, and I look forward to taking these ideas and concepts into my own work. I want to give a shout out to Terry, Rod, Laura, Nicole, Debbie, Courtney, my team at the CTL. And I want to thank you for listening to Beyond the Class. Um, It's been great recording these podcasts so far. I look forward to more in the future, and we'll catch you in another episode. Stay curious.